This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. It's been a crazy week on Blackballed, I'm not going to lie. We have had P-Gate, um, which implicates a former attorney general of Alberta um, to have his buddies pee on children's toys. So that was fun. Uh, Lee Aaron told me to kiss her ass, and I told her I would happily oblige. And... You know, we've uh, we've talked cults. So what we thought we would do today, what I thought I would do today is um, have someone on the show where I can just be myself and I don't have to worry about stress. And he's a great guest and uh, you all love him. I know you do because I get emails when I say he's going to be on the show. And so I would like to introduce my guest today. He is Mr. Spencer Rice, a.k.a. Spenny. Spenny, how are you, buddy? I'm uh, I'm well. How are you? I am also well. Awesome. Um, yeah. It, 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 first I've of been, all, first of yeah. all, Please. I don't know about P-Gate. I happened to watch the uh, Lee Aaron thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was funny. Um, what's P-Gate? <laughs> I love this. Oh, P-Gate is um, so David Wallace. Uh, he was hired yeah. to go out west to be a political fixer. Yeah. For many conservatives, one of them is Jonathan Dennis, um, who even set him up with a house. And yeah. when David Wallace blew the whistle on the David Marsh thing, or sorry, on the Richard Marsh thing with the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church and refused to hand him over to the cult, Jonathan Dennis quickly, um, okay, allegedly um, made things impossible for David at, at uh, where the house that he set him up and basically got him evicted for no real good reason. And then next thing you know, he can't get his stuff. Uh, it's locked in there and they won't let him get it. And then Jonathan Dennis came personally to pick up his stuff. And then they, the, the stuff that he picked up were like kids' toys and a chair. And then the next day, he uh, saw on Twitter that someone had posted his kids' toys in a chair claiming that they were pissed on. And, um, like a fetish? And, uh, according- <laughs> What's that? Like a fetish? Like no, just like hey, fuck you, David Wallace. We're pissing on your kids' toys. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. really, kind of like serial killer stuff, you know, like really weird shit. But you know, he's he's obviously um, just a misunderstood former attorney general, you know, justice minister. <laughs> he's the same guy. I don't know if you saw that was uh, the video. All these videos came out of him mocking an indigenous accent. Do you remember that from yes. a couple weeks ago or whenever that was a month ago? Same guy. Yeah. So he's one of those well-rounded assholes where it's just 
you know, it's not just one dimensional with him. He's right. got right. many dimensions to his asshole. Can we talk about uh, David uh, Wallace's hair for just a second? It's a sort of. I would love to. It's not working for him. I have to say, very handsome oh. guy. He doesn't need the Fabio hair thing. It makes him look very, uh, you know, fancy boy like. I don't mean gay. I mean just, you know, like. A I give him like a David Beckham haircut or something. You know. He doesn't like need modernize it. him a bit. You know, if he had an ugly face, you know, maybe I could see why he would go for that look. Um, but maybe he was buttoned down when he was a fixer. And now he's out of that game and he's uh, riding out the good uh, people that deserve to be ratted out. And uh, he just said, fuck it, I'm going to grow my hair. But he shouldn't comb it so much. It's over. It looks qua too quaffy. How long have you been an image consultant? To political fixers. You know what? I, I, I have a horrible fashion sense. My wife uh, can't doesn't even want to be seen with me half the time. But I do react to certain uh, things that I see viscerally. Mm. And, and when I see a, a, a guy who's good looking and would look really good with a short haircut, uh, and he's got some kind of Fabio overblown uh, long hair, uh, I you know, there, there's no reason for it. It's just a pain in the ass. For, for I guarantee you, he's got to comb it. He's got to blow dry it. He's got to, at least, you know, I like the sort of oily, dirty look from the, you know, uh, like a 60s kind of dirty hippie hair look. I don't like a dirty body, per se, but that's. Yeah, I'm sure. well, that's good. Um, who do you think would play him in a movie? Fabio. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be, be hilarious, by the way. <laughs> Fabio. Until he cuts his hair. Uh, you know, I, I haven't really thought about that, but that's, that's, good. if there's any money in it, I'll write the script. Um, I love hearing about the uh, sort of us, uh, rat fucking politics in Canada. I don't know why it's just, it's very refreshing. I don't remember ever hearing about a rat fucker whistleblower, like a, like a political trickster whistleblower, like Canada, someone, yeah. Someone made the example. Someone gave the example of um, um, what's that guy's name? Um, take me to Roger Stone. Roger Stone. Yeah, but it's like Roger Stone operated in the open. He he was never like like no one knew who David Wallace was. Oh, right. except for every single politician. <laughs> right. Like they would know. Yeah, I I didn't know about him till uh, either you or Dean. Uh, I saw him on one of your podcasts, and I yeah. watched it, and I was quite fascinated with it. And I wanted to sort of, I, I couldn't tell if he was full of shit and just a brilliant self-promoter, which I love that too. If it turns out that he was, um, sorry, this chat thing's covering your face. Uh, so if he was, uh, you know, uh, a real guy, because we all like a good con. I mean, if there's one thing I like about uh, Trump, who I hate, is, is he's a con man. I mean, everybody likes a con man. You have to kind of dig it. Which, by the way, uh, have you seen this? Uh, it's a Netflix series now. Why does the chat thing keep popping up no matter Just how go to full screen if you don't like that. Oh, I don't like it. Okay. Okay. There we go. So okay. uh, it's called, uh, what's it called? It, it was a story I wasn't aware of uh, with Pepsi-Cola and the Harrier hmm. Jet. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I saw the little preview screen on Netflix, but I haven't clicked it yet. It was, yeah. it's a, it, it's, it's wonderful. I loved it. It was about four episodes long. And it was, uh, to me, Americana, like completely only in America could this story happen with the characters that were in it and just the story itself. Uh, I highly recommend it. 
What is is it like? What, give me the premise because I, from what I understood, the premise was like some guy wanted, uh, like he won a rocket or something or a plane. Well, or something. what happened was, uh, uh, well, we don't really know, but Pepsi oh. Pepsi put a commercial uh, out during its heyday when it was the Cola Wars, right? Coke versus Pepsi, and the idea they had was sort of a simple sales uh, marketing idea, which is. If you buy a certain amount of Pepsi, you get points and you can redeem the points for a prize. Right. Right. So they, they produced a commercial and uh, the commercial was oh, leather jackets, sunglasses, be cool. Coke's not cool. Get our gear, buy our product. And the very end of the commercial, it was like a school. And the kid who was, you know, clearly winning everything from this contest, uh, shows up in a Harrier jet, which lands like a helicopter, right? Oh, I see. Yeah, I see where this is going. And then it says Harrier jet, 70 million or 7 million points or whatever. So this kid, uh, he was a kid back then. uh, He started to think about it. He watched the commercial. He freeze framed and he said, this is a legit offer. So he figured out that he could uh, get, if he could get the jet, it would only cost him roughly uh, $700,000. Oh. And then he would get a jet that was worth $45 million. <laughs> so It was a, a profit thing, but it, it turned into, uh, I don't want to give anything away, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the court case uh, of how the legals, uh, you know, he, he partnered with this Jewish guy. I think he was Jewish named Hoffman. He was a real character, very interesting guy. Uh, and he had the dough to put up for the 700000 And he was kind of like a, a bit of a rebel like you, James. So he just liked to kick everybody in the face. Yeah, yeah. So he said, oh, you know what? This is, you know, uh, well, let's take it to a lawyer. The lawyer said, I think you have a case here. And uh, he, he gave him a, a ton of money to buy a massive amounts of, of the product. But I don't want to say any more than that. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, I could use a Harrier jet, Spenny, you know? You know, I, 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 I did, a, I flew in, uh, in Kenny versus Spenny as a humiliation. I flew in a, a Vietnam era uh, uh, jet, but it was a propeller jet, but we did the corkscrews and the three sixties and it was insane. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really have a desire for that. I think what the, 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 what's interesting about the film is, you know, is, was it just a pure money grab based on a mistake that Pepsi made or did Pepsi just make a joke that was interpreted as something real? And then you don't really ever know what the truth is, but you get to see all the legal battles and what happened. Uh, Advertising was weird back then. Like the, the, like Coke and Pepsi were allowed to really go at each other at one point, yeah. remember? And then there came the time where it was just like, oh no, you can't show their logo or say their name, but you can imply that it might be. Coke. Right. You know, I think even some brand, them, you know, if I recall some of them, they were like, the, the brand for both of them was in the same commercial, like the, the taste. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. But. No, I think you're right. And I, I think they put a stop to that really quick because it, it got a little dirty. Well, the, ta- um, the, the taste test was sort of a, uh, a thing that ran through the whole series with a- any new character. They're not characters. They're real people in the documentary. They would, at the end of their part of the story, they would do a test yeah. with the Coke and Pepsi test. Anyways, terrific yeah. series. I highly recommend it. Okay. Well, um, I, I will definitely give that a while. I kind of avoided it. There's so much that I've like Netflix is becoming like blockbuster video was where you spend like an hour just like walking around and looking at, you know, titles, you know, I, I have a, here, here's my, here's my thing. Uh, 
I, I grew up, uh, I'm old enough now, I grew up, there was no cell phones, there was no smartphones, there was no computers, there was no internet. That's how I grew up, the 70s. And uh, when I was, you know, of that age. Uh, so now I'm not so old that I can't use that stuff. So I'm perpetually mm. blown away by the, by the technology, the choices we have, the good and the bad that comes with it. And I love TV. I'm unapologetic. I've been public about it as much as anyone gives a shit. I, I've always, because I remember Bruce Springsteen uh, uh, wrote a song called 57 Channels and Nothing's On. Do you remember that song? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was angry because I didn't even have 57 channels. And I was like, well, what do you, I want 57. You know, I love television. I, I love, love, love television, uh, mostly documentaries and news. But, um, and I do love you not get annoyed at, at commercials because of how, yeah, you know, I mean, I you, don't to, have, you don't really have commercials on the streaming sites, which is kind of good, but the commercials never really bothered me that much. I mean, yeah, there's people that like TV is almost nostalgic now. Like, I, I don't know. I had this weird thing um, when I was younger where I could have seen Die Hard or something millions of times if I like say I had the DVD. But if I was running through the channels and it just happened to be on on yeah. some channel, for some reason, that seemed more special. <laughs> It's like I own the movie, but it still seemed like, and I think it's because we kind of like subconsciously realize that other people are sharing that experience with us at the same time. With commercials? Yeah, even with commercials. Because first of all, they've edited the movie probably. TBS was the worst at that shit. Right. I used to say, like, like you ever tried watching The Breakfast Club even on TBS? It's like. Uh, No, but I love that movie. I love it. Yeah, so do I. Look, it makes no sense what you're saying because you're acting like a collective communal experience, but you're not. You're still in your house. So I know. I know it doesn't make sense, but I still felt the vibe that it was more special to watch it when you didn't have control over like stopping it and and whatever it was, whatever. I don't know what it was, but it would seem more special than just the DVD in the corner. I don't know. It it sounds weird. All of it, but the pornography, just when that came out and it wasn't, I mean, I was old enough to remember when I was living in, uh, my mom had moved to uh, actually California when I was a kid and I'd go visit Mm -hmm. her. My parents divorced. And um, I remember there was some guy who had a a 16 millimeter print of Deep Throat, right? And so a bunch of people went over to watch it. And then when I think about that, what a rare experience that was to, what's going on now with pornography i mean if you don't like pornography i guess it's a bad thing if you like it it's the greatest time to be alive right well i i just i i think i I think of my kids like i'm just like what world are they going to grow up in like i I, i'm like you the first time i saw playboy and i know this sounds like a stand by me like you know cutting room floor scene or something but it literally was like uh, there was a tree. So I lived in Whitby and there was like Otter Creek and then this like big hill and then like a soccer field. And then at the end of the soccer field, it was just fields. So like Pickering, which is all subdivisions now. And there was a tree there that had got struck by lightning and it kind of made like a thing that you could stand in like at the top. Like it was almost like you could three like kids could just sit in there and hang out. And we went up there once and we there was a stack of Playboys there. And I was such an idiot. I, I I immediately felt like weird and guilty. I was like six and I just brought him home to my mom. And I'm like, I found these, <laughs> which I think was probably the right thing because I was six, right? No, like, it was the dumbest thing you could ever do. Um, I used to love, six is young. I What I loved was the penthouse form, which was, uh, penthouse was of course the slightly dirtier version than Playboy. Which but I it was more out. literature. It was the literature. It was the literature that really yeah. made me aroused, uh, not yeah. the picture so much. So, All right. 
right. which makes sense uh, in my entire uh, career, which has a lot of sex projects in it, as well as my sex life, which is uh, very fantasy role playing. I like all that stuff. Really? Um, oh, yeah. What kind now, of role I mean, now I'm an old kecker, you know. Whatever. Like, do you, are you a voyeur? Like, do you like to watch your oh. wife with other people and stuff like no. that? Like, no, no, okay. no. I'm just no. wondering. See how no, far no, the no, rabbit hole. No, I don't. I'm not judging it. That's just totally not my thing. No, uh, no. Uh, you know, role playing, fantasy. The idea that you're doing something wrong is is the greatest thing in the world. Like the whole free love hippie thing. I never, you know, I was too young, first of all. But that that ethos drives me crazy. I no, I want you know clothing. I want oh. I, I want some kind of feeling that we're in doing something nasty and wrong i mean purely fantasy of course yeah uh, but i well, have, no have to live your life like that then maybe you really can die hard right anyone <laughs> <Ba -do -ba. laughs> yeah. did you get your start at yuck yucks no i've not i know no, well uh yuck yucks um in a way yes not my start but uh my cousin marjorie uh who ended up, I have to say this because then people maybe will pay more attention. She ended up, she wrote four Seinfeld episodes. Uh, she wrote on Square Peg. She wrote on the Larry Sanders show. Uh, she was a successful writer out in LA. She passed away a long time ago. Uh, she's my hero. And she was uh, uh, probably the first female stand-up comic in all of Canada. And I was madly uh, in love with her, not romantically, because she loved the Beatles. She was into movies and she like loved television. So uh, when she was first starting out, uh, she would play. Uh, initially, it was a place down on the harbor front, uh, the harbor front. Uh, it was a, a monthly festival that uh, Mark Breslin. I don't know if you know him. He's uh, he. He's the guy who owns Yuck Yucks. He used to put on these shows before there was a Yuck Yucks. And then, so she used to go down there and perform. And then uh, he opened up a club on, on Church Street. Uh, and sure enough, uh, uh, she would go, I would go. I was underage. It didn't matter. So I grew up uh, with her as my hero, actually. So, um, uh, yeah. so, actually... so the only time I played Yuck Yucks, this is actually a funny story, because uh, my thing is I put a lot of time into my music and I put a lot of time into Kenny versus Spenny. Hmm. The stand up I started doing when I was living in California. It's a life calling man to be a great stand up is a life calling. No question about it. And you don't, you don't know of too many, you know, legendary stand up comics who didn't spend their entire life honing their craft. So I did that with music. Yeah. And, uh, but when I tried to do stand-up because I had Kenny versus Benny, and I just wasn't very good because yeah. I, I could have been great. I, I'm obviously a verbal person, but, uh, you know, I lost a lot of years to, to uh, playing guitar and doing my thing, and uh, I don't regret it. But uh, so the one time I just decided I was going to try stand-up, uh, I went to Yuck Yucks, and uh, Mark Breslin, that guy I was talking about, he was there. And uh, I remember I came off stage. I'd written material. I'd done it in like open mics in LA and stuff. And, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. And I just remember his face <laughs> when I came, you know, when I came uh, off stage, it was like, because I was trying to do this sort of Richard Lewis uh, neurotic Jew. Was it that face? No. Hi, Mark. Yes. There can you hear me? I just want to make sure the um, the mic's on properly. Are you, yeah, can you hear me? Unfortunately, Mark Breslin, ladies and gentlemen, the founder of Yuck Yucks is here. Do I know Mark Breslin? Of course I do, Spinny. Holy shit. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm a little flux. James, will know, James knows everybody who does something for free. 
<laughs> Mark. It, t- it takes one to know one, right? Yeah, give, them, give them an honest assessment of my stand-up. I was just telling him the story. I guess this was all prearranged. You didn't just show up. Uh, um, right. Forgettable. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, unimpressed. Uh, unimpressible. I don't know. I, I don't think that Spenny spent a lot of time um, caring about a uh, stand-up act because if he did, he would have come up with something. But I just don't think he... He was never one of those guys, and you have to be that kind of guy to grind out five sets a night. And mm. it, it's like boxing. People ask me why I don't occasionally do, do stand-up, and I tell them that's not something you do occasionally. It's something you do all the time, like boxing. Otherwise, um, you're going to get punched out of the ring. That's what I just said. Uh, yep. see, I, I, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not something you casual, do occasionally. I was a casual guy. I think I could have been good if I spent years and years and years uh, honing my craft, but I did, I played it with music. And I'm no you good know, it's inter- <laughs> What's interesting about stand-up um, is that it doesn't feel like tech, like technology doesn't touch the craft, I don't think, because you kind of have to do it in person. Um, you know, like with music, production, uh, technology has like completely changed the game, film, TV, all that kind of stuff. But stand-up... It feels like it will never change, and and that's like for our benefit, right? Like, like what would how would you change stand up um, unless you found a way to make people really like prefer it watching on a screen than in person, which seems weird because the comedian doesn't want that, right? Well, um, you know, live theater is ancient, and it goes back as far as the Greeks and probably back before then. People talking about the hunt, and in a sense, stand up is still people talking about the hunt except they're hunting for pussy but um it is it is all about the hunt so um you know there's a lot of people who will try to connect with me and say i should play your club uh i have a million views on tiktok and it has absolutely nothing to do with what we really do when we're trying to entertain people with stand-up it's some guy dancing in a weird way and then you know taking a peach and ramming it in his ear it's not exactly uh for the ages, um, you're going to see so many of these people come and go and be completely forgotten. Yeah. Um, one of the, the main reason why, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I totally agree with him. And I, I said that before I knew he was even going to be on. It's a life, it's a life calling. It really is. And I wish it wasn't, but I'm an honest person. And I know the people that you see, by the way, uh, I uh, had the uh, honor of uh, inducting uh, Mark into the uh, Canadian uh, Comedy Hall of Fame the other night, mm-hmm. uh, which was a th- real thrill for me. I hope I, I hope I did you justice. Uh, I was, you did. Okay, good. You did. It was a very, very nice speech and nice intro. Thank you. Okay, great. Was there uh, any? Was did, did you have personal? Go ahead. Please, I don't want to question with John Dore. I thought he was fucking hilarious. Uh, he's always been. He's always been great, and I always thought he was kind of Canada's Steve Martin, um, because in the way that he kind of sucks you in with the um, the setup and then yeah. twists it around, very Steve Martin, and that's a. Yeah. That's a big compliment, obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm trying to set up a, a little tour with him where I open for him with music. So, oh, that's interesting. That yeah, great. I, it'd be fun, but I'd love to work with him. Uh, anyways, it was uh, just so great. Uh, I mean, Mark is ground zero for comedy for me in my life, as well as for the country. Uh, you got the Order of Canada, didn't you? Yes, I did. 2017. That's not even an arts award, you know. I mean, most of the people get it get it for some kind of research or philanthropy purposes. And there's some people who 
get it for the arts, but out of, let's say they induct 60 people a year, maybe five or six have something to do with the arts. And very rarely does it have anything to do with comedy. I think I'm the only person in the history of the Order of Canada to get it for anything relating to stand-up. Okay. I was going to say this SCTV must have. Uh, the SCTV people, many of them have it, but that's sketch. That's sort right. of a bit sketch different. Comedy. But even uh, so, there's not that many. None of the kids in the hall, I believe, have, have an Order of Canada. It's something that they tend to give you toward the end of your career, no matter what your career is. Right. But you're kind of like the comic whisperer. Like, like you know how to find talent. Like, you can kind of see in them in the same way that, like, an athletic scout can see, like, you know, I know that kid's going to be something. Like, where do you, what do you think you owe that to? Where do you get that instinct? I don't know. I mean, it's why, you know, A&R people go and they watch 16 bands on a show and they pick out the 12th one and go, that's the one. And it turns out to be, you know, somebody unbelievable. But mm -hmm. I, I, you just have ears. I mean, I look for certain things. I have a background in, in uh, literature. My, uh, I, that's what I have my degree in. And from the very beginning, I, I treated stand-up as if it were literature, oral literature, which means I took it seriously. And I applied the same standards to stand-up that I would to a novel or to poetry. And in fact, it has a lot in common with poetry because both things are, are an art of compression. Every word counts. Um, mm -hmm. It's also very personal. Before I got into stand-up, uh, stand just before, for a brief time, um, I was really into booking singer-songwriters. And when you think about it, they're also doing a similar kind of thing. It's a personal vision. Uh, it's one person talking to a room. One has a guitar. One, the comics don't have guitars generally. But it's, it's something I have, a, I guess, a feeling for of uh, somebody expressing their, their inner anguish, pain, fun, all the rest of it. Is there not a, a, a Jew component to it? Because I feel like, I think the Jews in comedy, there's something there for me. I may be, uh, uh, which isn't to say you don't have to be Jewish to be hilarious, obviously. Uh, but Are you saying uh, the Jews control comedy, Spenny? Yeah, we're just going to die. I, I think a guy did that on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago and got into some trouble. Um, <laughs> That's because so, well, he well, you know yeah. what? Here's the thing. And I, as a Jewish person, I'll tell you, and I'm always looking for anti-Semitism. I didn't think that was a particularly anti-Semitic screed because if Jews for the last hundred years have been bragging, bragging about how they created Hollywood, well, yeah. you, let, let's all... I, don't, I never... I, 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 I never would like to have, wait a minute. Who would I, you I like to have running Hollywood? Who would you like to be in charge? The Dutch? <laughs> hey, excuse me. I'm half Dutch. Let's... let's uh, actually, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. My <laughs> point entirely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you're saying, just lucky. I, I'm half Italian. You're just lucky it's not Italians that run. Look, it. it's like whispering. You know, the black people they control basketball. It's, right. It's right. Seems, uh, lesbians are very active in editing films. <laughs> and the there softball just seems community. To be places yeah. that are natural places right. for people to be, and mm -hmm. one of them is that you know Jews are tend to be uh, people of the book. They're story natural storytellers. Um, they have been since, you know, for 5,000 years. Um, there's all kinds of reasons. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago, less than 100 years ago, when Jewish people couldn't do what they wanted to do. Um, they were shut out of a lot of professions. And so they went into show business. There were no barriers to entry. There must have been a lot of barriers. Can I just say this very similar? And I think Mark taught me this, which is, you know, uh, what blacks are talking about in stand-up comedy now, the Jews talked about uh, years before. Very similar. We don't fit in. We don't belong. And nobody wants us, right? 
Well, yeah, when basically, they, you. I just want to know, just be, just if I may, just for a second, then I'll yeah. let you guys go back at it because I'm enjoying this. But when are they going to lift the barriers so more Jews can be professional athletes? Like, when's that going to stop? <laughs> I don't know anything about sports, so I <laughs> no, but that, no, that exactly. was a witty exactly. to that. But there was a great joke in Airplane, which was written by a Jew, where they're boarding the plane and they're passing out magazines or newspapers, and they go, "Here's a pamphlet of famous Jewish athletes." Yeah, that's like the big book of German humor. Um, <laughs> it's all one word. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um. Okay, so you were going to say something, uh, Mark, before I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I just uh, I wanted to make my my my, you know, uh, politically you incorrect. Remember. You can't remember, remember. What, what I was saying. I'm. But I wanted to say that I, I, I just talking about Mark for a sec. Uh, the commitment level, which I think to be great in anything, business, sports, uh, acting, comedy, there has to be that commitment. And I knew he was a committed person to what he did for two reasons. One was. Uh, I was uh, at York University and I found myself in a comedy class. <laughs> Talk about a liberal arts education. And uh, I asked Mark uh, because I was a terrible student. I thought the teacher would like me more if I uh, had somebody come up as a guest lecturer. And he schlepped up to uh, wherever, Keel and God's country there. And you did a lecture and you were talking about Sam Kinison, who I'd never heard about uh, at the time. And it was amazing. The, the second thing was I did a movie called Confessions of a Porn Addict, which was a mock documentary. And I casted Mark as uh, my uh, porn sponsor. Uh, like there was a porn anonymous type of thing. And he was just so good and took it so seriously, it, more seriously than I did. And I was the writer and director. Like he, it was incredible to see his, his, uh, his commitment to the craft, his commitment to comedy. And you'd see him at the uh, the film festival, and he. How many films would you see at a at a film festival? Oh well, yeah, I would take the week, uh, the ten days off, and probably see about forty five films. What? It only, it only stopped when COVID came in, and now I'm nervous about. You're, you're going the to that o, you're the OB, the original binger. I'd never heard of that. Like forty five movies. No, we didn't watch. TV. There was a whole crowd of us who used to do that, wow. and that was also in the days when when you bought a pass. Um, it was very well priced, and you got a lot for it. If you if you knew how to how to play it and how to hack it, you could really see a lot of stuff um, for a comparatively reasonable amount of money. Wow. Now it's affordable. 
Mark used to live in the Manulife Center. I would go see Mark was the MC, and he was basically doing a kind of Rickles, tearing apart the audience. It was always fucking hilarious. Uh, as I said in your inductive speech, God forbid you're a Jewish princess sitting in the front row. He would just tear them to shreds, but it would be just hilarious. And then afterwards, a few times you used to go out with me. We would go out to the, I guess, the Bloor Street Diner, and you would walk in, like, talking to everybody. It was such a... I'm an antisocial person, so I'm attracted to people that are the opposite, right? And I, you blew my mind always with how you were performing all the time, on and off. You know, you were on. Well, we used to call it the third show. Um, right. There were two shows you did on a Saturday night. And the third show is when you went to Bemelman's and you played the tables. Uh, and <laughs> well, that was in some ways more fun than actually doing the shows at Yucks. But, um, yeah, I've always been a really social person. Um, I kind of make friends easily. I also make enemies easily. Um, but I'm always, I always like to interact with people. That's always been part of the fun. Yeah. Why do yeah. you make enemies? Why do you make enemies easily? Just curious. Well, I have strong opinions and strong ways of doing things that don't necessarily um, make people comfortable. I'm better at it now. I've learned how to defuse situations, but in the, my past and in my youth, I did not do that. Is there, is there like, uh, I used to think that like sometimes for some people, um, the the thing about them that made them flawed and the thing about them that made them great kind of overlapped sometimes where, you know what I mean? Where it's like um, that person might not work well with others, but he's a genius. Like, did you have a little bit of that in you where it was like, I just know the answer. I don't need help with this. Like, was it that kind of thing? Well, kind of. And also what I was doing um, was very different from the traditions of what was happening in this country. I mean, you know, I remember painful meetings with the CBC, for instance, um, in those early days when they just couldn't even understand why I would want to do what I was doing. Um, they just couldn't understand. And to this day, I've yeah, barely worked for, for them, even though I have my Order of Canada, I have, you know, this new award. Doesn't, I don't think it means a lot to them. You know how many people that I know who have pitched shows, got the shows accepted, and then they just cycle out the, the people that chose that show. And when the new person gets there, they cancel all the shows that they bought. <laughs> yeah, but I have to tell you that that's normal for a network. Any network, yeah. even in the States, will do that. Yeah, I know it's normal. But, but, but why? Why is that normal? Like, it's just like Because you want to be able to be responsible for your own choices and your own decisions. Because mm -hmm. then you can say, hey, I brought you Seinfeld. Not this other guy who was working here before I worked here brought you Seinfeld. And there's also a turnover, too, with the executives that people forget, you know, where Kenny and I were persona non grata at, at Comedy Central until someone uh, changed the network and uh, the guy loved us. So we got on Comedy Central. Uh, same with, uh, you know, uh, Single White Spenny and, and Kenny's show, right? The Can West Global was taken over by another conglomerate, new executives, different agenda. And now Showcase, uh, we used to be the Trailer Park Boys and Kenny versus Spenny and funny sex shows. And now it's like late, you know, hot women cops, you know, at, because agendas change and jobs change. But I should point out that these um, changes in jobs don't happen all that much here in Canada, because once you hit a job, an executive position that pays $125,000 a year, you keep it because there isn't another one to replace it. Right. 
Yeah, these are all things that I find really archaic now, though. You know, like I, I've been in that situation where I've pitched shows that have been accepted and then I was cycled out because a new executive came in. And I'm just like, you know, there are, I, I mean, I, I feel like we normalize things that are really unfair. <laughs> so like if, if, if you represent a company and they, and they green light a show, then you, you should honor that. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I know maybe I'm sounding naive, but maybe I'm you're naive. Also, yeah, but maybe, maybe <laughs> you're I'm naive, naive and you use the F word, well, which you should that. never, I mean, ever use. It's not right and polite company. The word I'll say it fair. You should never use that word because it oh. just doesn't have any application yeah. whatsoever in also, the you, world that we live in. I you think can't, we're saying the same thing, but I'm, I'm saying that I don't think it should be like that. I actually don't think it's like that that much anymore because of how much uh, the Internet has given us independence. And so I think that that independence proves that it's maybe not maybe I won't use the F word, but it's unequal. Um, and and I guess I understand to a certain point why it should be unequal. But it's also lacks integrity, you know, and that's that's kind but of. But you have to, you have to, you can't have this conversation about Canada without saying that a lot of the money to fund these shows come from the government. I mean that that yeah. there was a time where it was just entertainment kind of flew under the radar in Canada, and a, a bad show could stay on the air for fifteen years. Nobody really yeah. cared. But now with the woke stuff and everything like that, it's a whole different ball game right now. You know. Uh, well, there's also really America, bad shows. Like, do you America, ever train 48? Like, America is a slave thing. to the dollar, right? Uh, Canada can it can be seen as a slave to the culture or, or the politics in a way, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Are you okay, you Mark? Yeah. <laughs> you do? What? What's that? Do you disagree? No, not at all. Oh, okay. He asked me if I was okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking about the terms. fair thing, and I and like like I I I feel like uh, I know that you're right, and it bothers me. Well, <laughs> it bothers me the, yeah, you, you can't do much to change it at, at all. So, you have yeah. to you have to kind of work within it. But uh, a lot of it feels like it's luck about you know people who manage to slip through the net, and um, there's room for half a dozen, and then everybody yeah. else is just struggling. You know, yeah. stand up especially, it's 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 a bad business. It's a bad business because it's not healthy when one percent of the practitioners make ninety-nine percent of the income. You would never find that in law or medicine or teaching or accountancy or sheet metal and roofing. There's a middle class. There's no middle class in uh, in comedy. You're either struggling or you're kind of famous, and there's nothing in between. Um, until you reach a certain age and you can sort of do corporate shows and then there is a bit of a middle class, but you have to be able to tough it out until then. Yeah. Um, do you, ch have you changed the way that you approach or do you still try to discover new talent? Yeah, I'm, uh, I have a school called the Humber School of Comedy that I've been operating for the last, uh, 15 years. So um, we have, uh, it's a degree granting institution. So you can say to your parents, see, I've got a diploma. Um, and uh, we have about uh, 30 or 40 um, students a year to do the two-year course. So I find people that way. We have amateur nights in every single one of our, our locations across the country. I'm at the one in Toronto a lot, of course, because it's geographically contiguous for me. But I tend to go out once a year uh, to every club I have and watch all the amateurs and give them notes. Out of the 30 to 40, 
how many do you think like have the drive and the talent to actually like get to a, a certain level? Like, is it less um, than one or is it like a dozen? No, like maybe half, half a, maybe half a dozen a year actually have managed to get some career. Of course, remember it takes time. The guy who was the head writer for Conan is a Humber graduate. Nathan Fielder is a Humber graduate. Um, he talked about it in fact, in the New York article um, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, Nikki Payne is a, um, a Humber graduate. There, and then there's a lot of stand-ups who are working that are Humber graduates that are, you know, making a, a decent living out of Yak So, you know, six out of, thir- uh, out of 30 or 40 sounds maybe not so great, except if you were in the arts program mm-hmm. at York as an actor, um, it would be the same percentage, if not even lower. Yeah, that's like 15 to 20 percent. That's that's not bad. I mean, it's not I, bad. I thought it'd be lower. Yeah, no, no. It's it's about a half a dozen people managed to find something to do in in the field. That's amazing because um, um, that that, you know, your induct your induction was well reserved. Then I, I want to know Kenny or sorry, I called you Kenny. That's funny. I want to know Spenny. Mark, if you, uh, call you Kenny. Mark. That, I would never make that mistake. I, I would. You know why? I just I just flipped to Facebook where Kenny Robinson, who I also wanted to surprise you with, I just looked at to, and to see if he, if he got the last message that I sent because we've been going back and forth, and that's why I called you Kenny. Okay? It was total coincidence. I swear to you. Bullshit. Um, Go ahead. No, I, I'm looking at it right now. Um, but I wanted to know what it was like to deliver the speech. How long was it? Was it personal? Was it a tearjerker? Well, it was a classic Kenny. Uh, uh, we, were, we were both supposed to do it. Uh, Kenny ended up getting quite sick, actually. Uh, His whole family was sick. Uh, So I read a letter that Kenny wrote, which was uh, funny. Uh, I'm a straight man. And I think I made a joke to Mark, when are they going to open the straight man uh, Hall of Fame? Uh, And then I and then you you, you talked my joke because I said uh, I would be Bud Abbott, uh, me. And I can't remember the other person I said. And then you said uh, someone was actually a great straight man. Who who was it? Warren Michaels. Warren Michaels, which is just that's that's Mark Breslin. Like, you know, he thinks out of the box. Like, I never have thought of more Lauren Michaels as a straight man, but he's uh, I haven't watched the video you told me to watch yet. But uh, yeah, when he was a performer, Lauren Michaels, yeah, was a he was very good. Yeah, he was very, very good. But Hart Hart got all the uh, the laugh lines. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyhow, um, and then I, I, I didn't do because I'm, I'm not a stand-up. I just spoke from the heart, which is really all I ever do, uh, about what the man means to me and uh, what I learned from him and uh, what he exposed me to. And uh, I'll take his word for it that he was happy with it, but I was, uh, I was nervous. Did was you write happy. it or did you improvise it? I, I wrote it and it was clumsy. I had glasses, I, you know, because that's not what I do. Uh, even though I do it with Kenny, it's a different prospect. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote down my experience with him. That, that's it. From the, the first time I remember seeing him. Actually, I mentioned this before you came on. The uh, uh, Harborfront shows he used to do, which was my cousin Marjorie's. Uh, so he can he can uh, confirm all the stuff that I told you before he came on the air. I, I believed uh, you. I believed you. Yeah. No, I know. I know what I'm saying. Well, listen, yeah, the um, only difference was the shows were weekly, not monthly. Right. Mm. Oh, were you listening to me? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even know you were here. Come on. All right. I was lurking. You were lurking. Yeah. yeah. I just um, want yeah, to talk to Mark because I had Mark on my podcast uh, a long time ago. Uh, and I, 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 I feel like audiences have become dumber. 
and 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 uh, the Lenny Bruce's, and I may be wrong, and I'm happy to be wrong, but I'd, I'd like to ask Mark about what he thinks about that. Uh, I think the audiences have become wider, not necessarily dumber. So what I mean by that is um, there was a time when comedy, stand-up comedy, going to a comedy club was a real vanguard experience, and only people who were really in the know would right. go. Right. Now everybody goes to to stand up clubs, and because it's everybody, you get a really good cross section of what the public is all about, and that includes not particularly intelligent people, not particularly sophisticated people, or or anything. But you know, I guess I could say that the number of really brilliant comics in any generation is probably the same, but the number of mediocre ones change, grow. Hmm. Interesting. Are you really referring to Spenny the fact that a lot of comedians um, are afraid to do certain kinds of jokes? No, because of the crowd. I, I, no? I, I have a theory, which I, I'm, I would love if Mark, if, if Mark, I'll, I'll be back in a sec. I'm just getting some water. I would love it if Mark uh, disagreed with me, but I have this theory that I came up with, and I, I don't know what I'm talking about, honestly. Which is that Will Ferrell, who I love, kind of dumbed down comedy to a point where acting silly became funny where what I found was funny was a little bit more intellectual. And I'm sure because I, I'm such a, uh, I, I'm not my, 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 I'm not on the pulse of, of clubs like Mark would be. So I could be totally wrong, but that's how it feels to me that, that Will Smith, no Will Smith, sorry, uh, Will Ferrell, uh, that, that style of just looking funny and acting funny and doing stupid shit uh, has sort of become the, the mass comedy thing. And, and someone like, uh, you know, someone who's more Woody Allen, for example, uh, you know, just uh, wouldn't be a big deal today because of it, because he he draws on philosophy. He, he draws on all kinds of deeper issues in his comedy, which I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Am I Is wrong? Is Will Ferrell actually like known to be like like a consummate stand up, though? No, I don't mean stand up. I just mean oh, okay. I'm not talking specifically stand up. I'd love okay, to hear about I don't think it's just Will Ferrell. I think Jim Carrey other, comes to mind too. There are other yeah. comics that that probably accelerated that. I, I I just think the whole culture has become kind of dumbed down. Yeah, um, because that's what I was trying to say. In the 1950s and 1960s and into the 70s, people who of of taste wanted to be Jewish. And then they stopped wanting to be Jewish. So because they stopped imitating Jews, they started imitating Gentiles. And when they started imitating Gentiles, they started imitating people who weren't that smart. <laughs> I loved watching. Everybody, thank you. This. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, he's like, I, whoa, 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 whoa. I kept wait. on wondering. I'm like, am I a Gentile? I don't even what know what a Gentile is. What kind of a left is. turn was that? No, I, 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 I literally don't believe what you're saying, but I believe there's some truth in it that... Uh, which is getting back to Jews in comedy. But, you know, Jerry Lewis was the ultimate. Uh, he was Jewish and he was the ultimate silly comedian with the fake teeth. Yeah, I never, I never found silly stuff funny. I never found John Belushi funny. I never did. I know too. that's oh, a heretical did. thing to say. No, I, I agree with found, you. Sorry? I, I agree with you. I yeah, I mean, I thought he was talented, but I never found him funny. He never made me right. laugh. Right. I know this might I know this might be. This is yeah, a game ahead. that comics play. Who doesn't make you laugh? Who, Bill, who is Billy famous? Crystal doesn't make me laugh. Who? Billy Crystal? Not he doesn't make me laugh. I don't know. Billy Crystal made me laugh in City Slickers. Um, I thought he was really funny in City Slickers. I saw him on Broadway do Mr. Saturday Night, 
Um, I think he's talented. I, just, I just don't think he's funny. Yeah. I just I found course. it amazing an 80-year-old could remember all those lines and show up to work every day. I was impressed with that part of it. Well, he did the sure. movie. He did the movie, right? So. Yeah, but I saw it live as it's a musical now, and right. as everything will be. Um, they'll you know they'll take anything. Schindler's List will be a musical. You know, the girl in the red coat. So um <laughs> don't go well, over actually, there. now that you mention it, I have to say this. So Mark uh again, he's so zoned into he reads probably papers and all the stuff I don't do. But he 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 was hip to this uh off Broadway New York show that he told me years ago. I still haven't seen it. We talked about it at the Hall of Fame thing. Oh, Charlie uh, Victor Romeo? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell the audience. You know what you can see that's similar is a show called Mayday, which is a Canadian co-production, which has been running for 15 seasons. And there's, I think, 10 uh, shows each season. And they recreate plane crashes. And then um, they show the uh, the sort of the cause of what the plane crash was. They bring in all these experts. It's a fantastic show. But tell them about Victor. The, the way so you Charlie described. Victor Romeo was a show I saw in New York, and it had to be 20 years ago. And they did it in a storefront in the Lower East Side. And the storefront was long and narrow, which was perfect because they set the, um, the chairs up as if you were on a plane with a long aisle going all the way down. And at the front was the cockpit. And what they did was they took black box recordings of plane crashes and recreated them. And there were about eight or nine in in the show which ran about you know brilliant. 90 minutes 95 yeah. minutes it was brilliant it was brilliant yeah. they um it was exact the exact um uh, they didn't edit it at all so it would start off and there would be a screen it would say what the uh plane was where it was going how many people were on board and then that would uh, go off and then the scene would start and uh the pilot and the co-pilot would be in the cabin uh, they were in the, you know, in the cockpit flying the plane and a stewardess would come in and she'd say, would you like some, uh, some coffee, gentlemen? And you go, yeah, yeah, I think I'll have some coffee. Sure. How was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was fine. Thumb, boom. What was that? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> and then they would keep talking and then, boom, boom, boom. And then they start screaming. It was fantastic. It was just fantastic. And the best part That's... was I had to fly back to Toronto the next time. <laughs> That's how dark. He's very dark. Cause uh, yeah. at, when you came up to York, you were uh, excited about this Sam Kinison that no one had heard of. Uh, and uh, he's very dark. You have, you're a very dark, uh, you you have dark, when you accepted your award, I fucking busted a gut with your, you made fun of the trophy and the, the meaningless of it all. Like I, it's dark. I love it. So much of, of comedy is really just being honest. It's the yeah. honesty that no one else will or has the position to say, you can't be honest with your spouse. You can't be honest with your boss. You can't be honest with your kids. You can't even be honest with your friends, but you can be honest when you're on stage because they think it's real, but not real. And yet it's real. So my line, which everybody always loved that I used to do a little later on in the show, we'll be watching our featured guest, Mr. Larry Horowitz. And then a little later on after that, many of us here will be going home and sleeping with people we don't really love. <laughs> Now, uh, where's the joke? Where Where is the joke in that? It's I didn't exaggerate. Truth. I didn't do any of the things that people, you know, have identified as comic sort of tropes, right. or comic techniques. All I did was just tell the truth. Yeah. yeah but, but, nobody but, wants to say. Yeah. But, 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 but you, they're also, it's the, it's coming from you. 
So right. my example of this was, uh, I think Marjorie told me about this. She said, you've got to get a script for the Andy Griffith show, which was a show that I loved. It was an old black and white show with Don Knotts and Andy Griffith and uh, Jim Neighbors was in it and Andy and Opie. Yeah. And I, I went out to a place called the Hollywood Canteen and I bought a script, uh, actual script from the show, not a transcription of the show, but the original script. And you read it, there's not a joke in it. So the joke comes from the character. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it has been said you that it begins friend. with character. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's you are that because there's something about your aura and your delivery, you know. Well, it's, also, it's the context. I'm on a stage of a comedy club. Right. If I said that at um, the water cooler of a, you know, right. of, a, of a business, they probably wouldn't see it as being funny. I also the mechanics of comedy. That's what it really. I like. I like. I like when comedy manifests in the comedy roast kind of way because I don't know if you guys know this, but like I'm pretty sure it was co the comedy roast that influenced battle rapping to go from two guys rapping over beats and making stuff up to two guys doing almost like a theatrical performance, um, and it's just like a comedy roast except it's it is funny. Yeah, they laugh when they. Oh, I, it's great, yeah. and and we just actually lost Pat Stay this year, who was probably the world's greatest battle rapper he was from oh, nova no, scotia you know cory uh, guy cory he's canadian yeah he's like pat says canadian he's from nova scotia and he destroyed cory i know who you're talking about um he absolutely destroyed him but I, i'm not taking anything away from him but pat say was a beast but but the similarities though between the comedy roast and battle raps are are amazing you could say anything you want it's like the aristocrats you can just you can literally say anything and and they shake hands at the end, and one of them is declared the winner, and and it's great. Um, it would be neat to see uh, uh, a, like a format in comedy that was similar to that, where well, there is two comics. Oh, there is. There okay. is. We do something at Yak Kex once a month, and it's um, a comic named Anish Anwar, and he's got this show, um, which is called Your Hood's a Joke, and what he does is he has people um, do a rap battle, but not about each other but about the place that they live in or they're from. Oh my God. Which is that's great. So, good. so it's either neighborhoods in Toronto that people know, like, you know, Forest Hill versus Rexdale right. uh, or something or countries, you know, um, Israel versus Iran. And Can he I finds apply to be that, to be on that show. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can I apply to be on that show? <laughs> you have to really? do some writing, but I guess. I, so. I, I, well, I'm a rapper, so I'm already halfway there. I'm a pretty fucking good one too. Okay, but it's but I, not a rap. It's it's just spoken words. Oh, yeah, it's okay. I would do it in rhyme just to make everyone. I think, think that's asking like... too much of of the comic. You'd run out of I comics who could do that pretty quickly. That's a very specific. Skill. But I'd be the only guy that did it. You know, that'd be then we wouldn't be able to do it more than once. And yeah. we're always looking for something. We See can that, do that truth more. thing that he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you can't make it in comedy, James. How dare you, sir? Um, well, I'm happy that you guys will be able to connect. Um, and, um, I, we are running now to eight o'clock, so we are going to wrap up. Um, what do you have going on, Spenny? I noticed that you have a tour coming up in December. Are you doing, uh, when, when do you leave the seventh or something? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing, uh, a tour, uh, Edmonton, uh, Calgary, uh, Toronto, uh, Hamilton and Red Deer. <laughs> wow. uh, actually the rowdiest Kenny versus Fenny live show was in Red Deer it was there were police were called it was amazing oh. um so uh that yeah we're doing that and that's a Christmas tour which is pretty funny a because we're Jewish and b because 
you know, we're just really trying to make money. You know, that's the yeah. truth. And, uh, you know, we've played these markets so many times. So the Christmas is a good way to sort of uh, do something new uh, and get that money again. Um, so uh, that's that. And, uh, you know, I'm doing music. Uh, I, I play gigs here and there and everywhere. I'm going to be at Humber with Kenny uh, doing a lecture. Or, uh, no, I think it's an interview. Mark, you're interviewing. Yeah, it's that? an interview format. Yeah. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that and the free lunch. Mark's going to buy me and everything. Every, everything's good. Uh, that's that, that's where I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, Mark, how about yourself? Well, you know, we're uh, I announced last week that we're opening up a brand new club in Winnipeg, um, which is a, kind of a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is that, let's face it, COVID has kicked our ass. COVID kicked the ass of everybody doing live live performance. So in, we had all we went from fourteen clubs down to nine, and we had about five clubs that we were going to be opening that we never got around to opening because why would anybody invest in a nightclub when you can't put people in it? Yeah. So the fact that we're opening up in Winnipeg and it's a big club in a beautiful place in the Fort Gary Hotel um, means a lot to us because I'm hoping this will be the first of many new clubs to open. Are you playing us out? Yeah. Can I? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> done sir spenny mark breslin thank you guys for joining us i really appreciate it you have a good night you're welcome spenny i'll see you on the 16th nice uh accidentally cut off spenny before mark could send the message but i'm sure they'll hook up on the 16th um that was awesome um <laughs> full disclosure um i wanted mark to be a surprise to, uh, to spenny and i know that it kind of seemed like 
<laughs> but Mark gets into the uh, green room and then he uh, he starts, he sees the private chat and he doesn't realize that uh, Spenny can see it if Mark messages me. So Mark messaged me and then I look at Spenny's face and Spenny's like, and then uh, to his credit, he pretended that he had no idea. Um, but then I was like, you saw him, didn't you? He's like, yeah, yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> so, so that was the acting chops of Spenny. And I, frankly, I'm, I'm fairly impressed. Big thanks to Spenny. I didn't know he could sing. I didn't know he had the singing chops like that at the end. That was dope. I had no idea. And, and, and you know, not to take anything away, um, you know, from my uh, interest in Spenny's career, but I knew he played the guitar and I knew he was really good at playing guitar, but I had no idea that he could sing like that. And I thought that was dope. I was, I was really impressed. Um, so again, my thanks to Mark Breslin, founder of Yuck Yucks. My thanks to Spenny. And who do I have coming up? Oh, um, I have one show coming up on Tuesday. Her name is Karen Cleish. She is an actor. She starred in a slew of like series and horror movies in like the early 2000s. Then she took a break for like 12 years to become a mom. Um, she has a really interesting history where she, she went to Dawson College and she also spent a lot of her youth in Lac Mégentique, which, and both those places have such uh, well-known famous tragedies. And uh, I, I talked to her a little bit today about how that kind of shapes the artistic part of people. And, um, and you know, and, and really, really interesting person. Um, she is also the sister-in-law of my brother-in-law, which is um, weird and convoluted. And, um, yeah, so that should be a fun conversation. I also have on December 5th, Megan Murphy. Megan is a person who is actually just reinstated into Twitter, but she kind of made her bones as being one of the original people who were banned for life from Twitter. I don't honestly remember what it is, um, but I promise to do the deep dive before I have her on the show. And I want everybody to have a good weekend. If you run into Jonathan Dennis, just turn around and walk the other way really quickly. A lot of things could happen. You could get peed on, you know, yeah, your court case could be all fucked up. Um, whatever. Um, just, just if you see Jonathan Dennis, just, just turn away and run for the hills. And we will see you next time on Black Bolt. Black Bolt. Black 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 everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.